got another clap offering today. Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, good morning. We're so thankful for you being here with us today. What an incredible time of worship. And uh, happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. Go ahead and get your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 4 as we continue in our series called Bold. And we've been taking some lessons on courage from the early church. And what does that mean to look like to have courage as a believer? When you stand with Jesus Christ, what does it look like? And I want to echo what Pastor Randy said earlier. We just uh, celebrate and appreciate our moms so much. Amen? And uh, we're so thankful for the inspiration that they are. And the, those of us who are married who have godly wives who are the moms of our kids and, and just uh, love and are raising our kids in the Lord, we are blessed and thankful for you today. And we want you to know that. And I was thinking this week, okay, it's Mother's Day. Last week I started this, this portion of talking about persecution and I felt led to continue in that, and I thought, how in the world am I going to bridge Mother's Day in persecution of believers? How does that even work? And I, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, here's the deal, is that if we do not adequately appreciate these moms in our lives, men, we will face great persecution. Don't you know that? Okay, so I want to prepare you for that in case that doesn't happen in your life, and I'm teasing about that, but seriously, this is not a stretch here. As I was thinking about this more in my own life and the influence of, of my mom and just the influence of my wife and the influence she has in the lives of, of my son Luke and our daughter Trinity, you know, the way I want to tie this together this morning as we get into the book of Acts here in just a minute is this, is that I said last week, and, and we've been saying this in this series called Bold, that when you actually step up, okay, and you... You just decide you're not going to just live as a cultural Christian anymore, you know, kind of the way the mainstream Bible Belt kind of Christianity kind of is. But you actually start really identifying yourself as a believer in Christ. And you're not going through the motions of church. But you start living a godly life. And you're stepping up and you start living godly for Christ. And uh, the scriptures, and we looked in this last week, said this, that when you do this, you can anticipate, what did we say last week? that you will be persecuted. It is going to happen that when you step up for Christ, as our culture becomes increasingly more secularized, as we see the direction that things are, are going in in our country uh, when it comes to issues of morality and, and, and you know different things that are happening on that front, that when you actually step up and you're not ashamed of your faith in Jesus Christ, the scriptures very clearly say this, that you can anticipate there will be opposition. You can anticipate that there will be resistance that you will face in your life. And, and, and I started thinking about that for, and just again, tying this kind of together with, with just a moment speaking about Mother's Day. I started thinking about that means a lot of things for a lot of different people, okay? Because we're all different kinds of folks and we all come from different backgrounds and and, and, but here's the thing, and I want to say this to the women in our church here for just a moment who are, especially who are moms, that when you, moms, when you actually start living your faith out, when, and you're living that out, and you're not going through the motions of your faith, that could mean a lot of things for a lot of different folks. But when you're pouring Christ into the lives of your family and into your kids and maybe into your husband, for some of you, maybe you have a, a husband that, that he loves you, but maybe he's not yet a believer, and, and maybe that sometimes there's a struggle that goes on there, and, and you know, and I'm not saying that you're being persecuted by that person or whatever, in some cases that might happen, 
But what I'm trying to say is that when you stand with Christ and you start living that godly life, it's not easy. It's not easy, and you often, many times, can face resistance. And, and we have a number of women that are here in our church that, that they may be the only witness for Jesus Christ in their entire family. They may be the only one that stands with Christ, and they may, it may be a very difficult thing for them. And maybe they, fi they find that when they identify with Christ and they live their faith out, that they experience pushback. Maybe there's pushback for those who have teenagers and maybe they don't know the Lord yet, but you're the only witness for Christ. Or again, maybe you have a husband that doesn't know the Lord yet and, and, you know, and so you're the witness for Christ in that, in that case. And what I just want to encourage you is to continue being bold in your faith, okay, and to not compromise in your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you continue? And we've talked about boldness is not arrogance. In fact, what boldness really is, it's, it's serving. And you pouring that love into your family and serving them boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And, you know, and your greatest mission field is your family. Your greatest mission field is pouring Christ into the lives of your mom, into your children. Your greatest mission field is pouring and serving and loving uh, your family in the name of Jesus Christ. And reflecting Jesus Christ to them. And that you may not even realize the kind of difference that you have made and that you are making in their lives as you boldly love them in the name of Jesus. There is a ripple effect that happens in families whenever there is a, a mom or a dad or somebody that takes a stand for Christ. You may not even realize the kind of effect. Let me, let me explain it to you. I shared with you last week, if you weren't here, you can go listen online just a little bit about my testimony before I knew Jesus Christ um, and I talked about growing up out here and just the blackness of my heart and the darkness of my heart not knowing Christ as my Savior and there was a, a lot of meanness there. My mom was in the first service and she would say, honey, you weren't that mean. Yes, I was. Just ask some of the people I went to school with, okay? And I was not nice to people. Before I knew Jesus, I was incredibly hypocritical because I was religious, because I was going to church, and I knew all the Sunday school answers, but I did not yet know Jesus Christ in a personal relationship. And then I started seeing something happen in the life of my mom. I mentioned this last week that my mother was the one that the Lord used to to show me and talk to me about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because my mom at one point had also grown up very religious. She knew all the Sunday school answers. She'd gone to church all of her life, but she had never come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ until later on in her life. And then her life started changing. And when her life started changing, I noticed my dad's life started changing. And then I noticed I was confronted often with my own hypocrisy. Because of the integrity that I saw in my mom. And my mom gets really embarrassed when I talk about her because she is in our church. And I don't want you to, to give the impression that, we, that and she's embarrassed because she's like, I don't want people to think that I think I have it all together. because I don't. And she, she's not like that in any kind of way. But I'm just simply saying this, that when she started really taking a stand with Christ and spending time with him, and it started influencing me in such a way that at some point when she noticed something was going on in my life and we started dialoguing about what it meant to really know Christ, my mother was the one that led me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I started thinking about the ripple effect that that has had. 
And you remember how I said last week, when I started identifying myself with Christ in high school, I started taking my Bible to school with me. I started being more of a witness to my friends around me and being unashamed to talk about what the Lord had done in my life. How it was a terrifying thing to step up and to be bold about my faith. My friends started noticing a difference in me. My mom and my dad, they were some of the ones that were just incredibly influential in standing with me. My, and, and in that time of persecution. So I want to just put it very bluntly so we can move into the text of the scripture today. And here's how I want to put it bluntly because I want to just really focus on the ripple effect that, that you have in our lives. I, I can say this. I don't know if Eagles View Church would even be here if that were not the case of the influence that my mother had in my life. Isn't that an amazing thing to think of? I mean, we may not even be here worshiping as the Lord used me to start the church around 16 years ago. If I hadn't seen that relationship first in her, I don't know that my life would have ever been changed, which means I don't know that I would have ever felt called to plant a church. What I'm trying to say is, do you see your impact? Do you see the ripple effect that you have on your family, on your children, in ways that you may not see it right now, but it's just things that God is using in your life to influence and impact them in incredible ways. You know, one of the biggest core values that we have here in our church is we want to be sure we're not lifting up a particular denomination or anything like that. We have an affiliation with one, but that is not our focus. We want you to know Jesus Christ in relationship. That's what matters more than anything. Do you know why that's a core value in my life? Because it was a core value in my mom's life. She showed me that. And that's why it's a core value in my life, which means it's a core value in our church. I just want you to know that that kind of boldness changes lives. And so, moms, stay the course for Christ. You're changing lives for all eternity, not just your kids, but also your grandkids and future generations to come behind. And, and man, I'm not only blessed to have a mom that has been like that, I also have a wife that is doing the same thing. And, and, and if you have that, we need to realize, men, how, how just incredibly blessed we are. Amen? If you have that in your life, that is a blessing that we need to give thanks to God for. And so we're talking about boldness for Christ. And the call that God has given us as believers, I'm talking to Christians today, okay, about this. We, we looked last week where Peter said, to this you are called. And you are called to boldness. You're called to staying the course. Now, what he also talked about in the book that we looked in 1 Peter last week was when you stay the course for Christ, you can count on the fact that you're going to face opposition. You can count on there being difficulty. So last week we spent some time establishing just kind of a theology of understanding persecution and how it can even be used in our life if we stand for Christ, how we are to anticipate it. We looked at examples that Jesus, how Jesus told us that if you love him, that the world will hate you. Okay, Jesus said it hates you because it first hated me. In other words, it, it, it's not even you so much that the world hates. Christ is hated. Why is that? Because the prince of this world right now is Satan, and Satan hates God. He hates Jesus. So when the name of Jesus Christ is lifted up in any kind of way, there is often a hatred towards that name of Jesus because here's the bottom line is that you and I really aren't all that important in the big thing, okay? We are expendable, but the Lord chooses to use us in some incredible ways. Now, 
so again, we're called to standing strong for Christ. Peter talked about expecting it. And Paul sums it up this way. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what, what he said to, Tim, to Timothy, this young pastor. Yes, in fact, will you read it with me out loud? Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. He doesn't pull any punches there. He doesn't water it down. It's not a watered-down gospel. It's presented, and he says, if you're going to live a godly life, expect opposition. If you're just going to cruise through life and just kind of go, you know, along with the rest of the culture and never be any different than the rest of the culture, you know, you kind of blend in like a chameleon. But when you start actually going cross-grain to society and standing up for Christ, he says, expect it. All right, so we talked about that. If I'm going to, and what that could mean for some of you, again, maybe as a parent or, or you know, maybe as a husband or whatever, if I'm as a husband going to start stepping up and spiritually leading in, in my family and, and being the man of God that I'm called to be, kind of manning up in that area, um, then I need to understand that there's often a cost that comes with that. There's a cost in discipleship. There's a cost that comes, and Christ called us to count the cost in following. He said, you will be persecuted, you say, thank you, happy Mother's Day, Pastor Bart, right, okay, I'm a giver, okay, I just want to be a giver to you this morning, but here is the thing, some principles from last week, expect it, he says, know that when it comes that God's using it in your life, it's not just pointless, God's maturing you in it, because there's a trial that is found, and it requires faith to remain steadfast, we learn that principle, uh, that God never wastes our pain, but he also rewards faithfulness whenever persecution happens. There's a reward that comes with that in eternity. And we learned we're never alone in our persecution. So the scripture is going to call us to boldness and unwavering faith. Again, remember, boldness is not arrogance. Boldness is just a willingness to stand firm. And to stand firm in your faith in the midst of dark times, in the midst of our ever-changing society that's moving further and further away from the person of Jesus Christ. And, there, and so, as your pastors, we really felt strongly about this. We feel strongly that not only are we to call you to boldness, as the Scripture does, we don't want to water it down. We want to let you know that if you choose, you see, I've got some backing behind me. Did you hear that? You better stand bold. I'm just saying, okay? I love that. Thanks for the sound effects, God. Okay? And <laughs> that was perfect. And, and, and there's power coming today, right? All right? And so... Um, we just want you to know that when you do that, we don't want you to go, man, I never expected this. I didn't know that if I stood up for Christ that this was going to happen. No, we want you to understand biblically the scripture says that when you do that, you should anticipate resistance. And the, the Lord uh, in, many, in many ways prepared his disciples for that. So we're looking in Acts chapter 4. Let me give you quickly some context. Remember the church has just been birthed uh, as, as Peter just goes from this one who is cowering and denying Christ to now boldly proclaiming Christ. And he's, he's preaching Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 3 and in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. They come across a man who is a paralyzed man who had been there on a regular basis for over 40 years. This man had been paralyzed. 
and he regularly was begging for alms there. And Peter has no money to give him, but Peter gives him what he does have, and that is he talks to him about Jesus Christ. And then he heals the man. The man gets up, and he is jumping all over the place, rejoicing, drawing a crowd, and people are noticing that a miracle has just happened in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter seizes that moment to not say, look at what I have done, but he lifts up Jesus Christ, and he preaches Christ, and he tells them that Jesus was the one who this man has been, whose name this man has been healed in. And, and, he, and then he indicts them with this, that they had rejected their own Messiah, and that they had been the one who had killed him. And you know what he does? He calls them to repentance. I mean, it's powerful. And the scripture tells us that many came to faith in Jesus Christ. Man, that's bold. And many believed. And the church that was on the margins of society is alive. And it's thriving. And it's growing. And they are unashamed because of Christ. And you can expect this response. Opposition. Intimidation. Fear tactics. All of this. And this was all antagonism. And this all came um, ultimately from Satan who is trying to squelch this movement of God. So here's what we find in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. We find this, that while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. Those were some of the religious leaders, okay? These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through, what's the name? Jesus, that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. So they arrested them. But many of the people who heard their message, what did they do? They believed. They believed in Jesus as the Messiah. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, okay? So now all of a sudden you've got a movement of God that's happening. A church planting movement is happening here. And, and you've got around somewhere probably between fifteen and 20,000 new believers in Jesus Christ, okay? The church is booming. So are you thinking that Satan might be a little bit upset about this? So what does he do whenever a church is alive, when a Christian is alive and on fire for Christ, what happens? He seeks to silence that church and silence that Christian. And he uses fear and intimidation. This has been his MO for a long time. And he uses this thing that he exploits in our lives. And you know what it often is? It's not often physical abuse, although it got to that in this case. You know what, what it is for many of us? And I shared it last week in my own testimony. It's this thing right here. It's the fear of man. When we start getting afraid about what people are going to think about us. If I stand up for Christ, what will people think of me if I stand in boldness for Christ? This is what he used in my life as a teenager at one point to silence me until I, I started realizing that I needed to stand boldly with Jesus Christ, and the Lord started using that in my high school. So the apostles, however, learned this. They learned some things about handling persecution because you know how they learned it? They, were, they had it modeled before them in the person of Jesus Christ. They watched Jesus handle this, okay? And so here's the thing. If you are persecuted for your faith, if you are facing resistance because you are 
are, are actually identifying with Christ and standing firm in your faith and you anticipate resistance and persecution, I want to just show you very biblically how you are to respond to that. How do we respond when it happens in our life? Let me show you right quick, okay? Here's the first thing. If you're persecuted for Christ, be submissive to it. You be submissive to what the Lord is doing in your life there. You be submissive to the Father and then even at this point to the one who is persecuting you. Now, I want you to think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Go back to the Garden. Jesus is there and he is praying and he, is, he knows that there is about to be a great cup of suffering that he is going to drink of, right? The crucifixion will be happening. The beating is going to happen soon. And he is there praying. And, and Judas leads a band of soldiers and temple guards to apprehend Jesus. Now, you need to know something powerful here. If you look in the Gospel of John, this is one of my favorite passages in all of John, that whenever this, this mob gets there for Jesus, they don't overpower him. They don't, like, overpower him and, like, beat him into submission. Whenever they, they kind of walk up to him, Jesus is praying, and he's, like, kind of like, can I help you, you know? And they walk up, and they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. You know, they're there with clubs. They're there with torches. They're there in this mob mentality. And he says this. He doesn't cower in fear. He doesn't run away scared. He stands right there. And do you know what he says? I am he. And when he says I am, that's a big thing, okay, in the Hebrew. That's big. When he said I am, now if you look in the Gospel of John, do you know what it says that they did when he said I am he? It says they fell back and fell to the ground. I love that. They fell back because of his power. They get up and they're like, what just happened here? Now why is that in there? Why do we see this? Because I, I believe very much so that Christ is showing us that no man takes my life from me. I willingly am laying this down. And he said that before them. And he modeled that. And they said, we are looking for Jesus. And he said, I am, I am he. And he allows them to apprehend him. Now, do you remember what Peter did in the garden at that point? Peter's like, oh, no, you are not taking Jesus. And he takes a sword out. And what does he do? He whacks this guy on the head and takes off part of his ear, you know, or takes off his ear, and, and, and you know, and what does Jesus say? He's like, oh, no, 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 that's, this is not how the kingdom is going to come about. Jesus submits at this point, right, to, the, to these men, but ultimately he submitted to God because he said, not my will, but your will be done. He takes the guy's ear, he puts it back on his head, right, and if I were Jesus, I'd have put it on upside down just to mess with him, all right? <laughs> I'd have put it back on or maybe crimped it up a little bit and made him look like an elf. I'd have done something like that. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus. Amen? All right? Because I'd have messed with him in some kind of way. And, uh, but, but you know what? Look at what he says to Peter. Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering that the Father has given me? These guys aren't doing this to me. The Father is in control is what he's saying. No man takes my life. Um, you know, he said, I am submitting to the Lord that, that I am in God's hands. And if you look back in Acts, here's what we're going to see. Now, when we, when, we, when we talk about submission, most of us, we don't like that word. We don't like it because we think of weakness when we think of this. But I, I'm just wanting you to see that this is strength that is under control. It's a meekness, which not, doesn't mean weakness. It's strength under control. And what we find here 
is that it's a submission. We think it's tapping out. Well, I'm just tapping out. I'm just giving up. Well, in essence, you are giving your will up to the Lord, okay, and saying, God, my life is in your hands. No man orders my steps. I trust in you, Father, okay? And that's what Peter and John did at this point. They, were, they allowed themselves to be apprehended. They didn't start a riot. Remember, they had 5,000 new believers at this point. They could have, like, started a riot. They just said, all right, all right, God's got this, and it's, it's okay. Verse 5 in Acts 4, the next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. So that is an intimidating group right there. That's quite intimidating. These are the same guys that, uh, that, that persecuted Jesus Christ, and now they're gathering together. They've apprehended them. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? In whose name? Peter's going, all right, you just gave me an opportunity to tell you about what just happened. All right? So they're standing before this. What, this would have been a perfect opportunity for self-preservation. Oh, we're just going to back down right here. Oh, I don't know that we're, we should say anything. Maybe we should go about it another way. They weren't cowards. They didn't start a riot. You know what they did? They submitted to God. They said, God, you've got this. We're going to submit to these guys at this point. And then the persecution began to happen. Think about Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he was apprehended for preaching Jesus Christ, he's put in the Philippian jail for preaching Christ. And, God, and what, is, what are he and Silas are, are singing praises at midnight. They've been beaten and they are imprisoned for Christ. They've submitted to this and submitted to God, and they've yielded it to the Lord. And then what does God do? He brings an earthquake, shatters the place. It's fallen apart. They are, their chains are where they were bound. Now they are loosed, and, and they could have done what? Could run out of that place. The jailer comes in, and he's like, oh, no, what, what am I going to do? And he's going to kill himself because, you know, in this time that if you failed in that manner, you were going to be executed. And Paul and Silas and the other prisoners, what did they do? They stayed right there. And they're like, no, don't kill you. We're all here. We're all here. We're here. And what do we know that happened as a result of that? Scripture tells us this, that the Philippian jailer said to them at this point, when he saw them in their integrity, saw the power of their God in their life, that Jesus Christ was alive in their life, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he ends up giving his life to Jesus Christ and his family, it says his whole household came to faith in Jesus Christ. Again, a ripple effect in boldness. A ripple effect that's going on. Many believe that he was one of the instrumental ones that was used by God in planting the Philippian church there in Philippi. And so it's just a powerful thing to see this kind of submission. And you see, when we decide to be submissive, what we are saying is that we recognize our life is in the hands of the Father. I'm going to tell you this, there's no better place to be. Even when things are difficult on the outside, our, hand, our life is in the hands of the Father. So, so what, what area of submission, what is God calling you to lay down before Him in that way and trust Him in? Whenever God brings you into a situation of persecution in your life, stick around. Don't even resist. Just trust that God is in control. Be submissive to Him. Now, here's what you're also going to do in the midst of this, and this is what Peter and John did. We are called to depend upon the Holy Spirit. 
All right? You're going to need another power beyond your own power. We're called to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Look at Peter's response. And this could have been a, just a terrible, scary situation to be in, standing before all these spiritual, you know, muckety-mucks in their big hats and robes and all this stuff, right? And uh, I don't know if, if Pharisees have ever been called muckety-mucks, but I just did it, all right? And so they're standing before them. And don't you know that must have been a terrifying thing, knowing these are the guys that had put Jesus to death? And this would have been their moment to kind of back down. To back down, but there was a boldness in their life. What is it that maybe has you terrified in standing for Christ? Maybe it's something that God's calling you to be bold in at your job. Maybe it's not doing that unethical thing that, you know, but you know that if you don't, then there's going to be some repercussions to that if you stand with Christ. The point is this, is when we get in those situations where maybe the persecution or the difficulty comes, we're going to need to lean on something other than our own power because our own power is not sufficient. And if all you're counting on is, is your own power, then you do have something to be fearful of. Same here with me, right? Because I'm just not that smart. So when you submit to God, you yield to Him, the power comes from the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, now read the next part with me out loud. What does it say? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So here it goes. This is great. Rulers and elders of our people. In other words, you're the ones that are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of our people. You're the, you're the leaders. You are the spiritual leaders. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Oh, man, he's starting to bring it strong right here. Are you, are you really questioning us because we've done something good for somebody? You guys, everyone knows this guy's been paralyzed all of these years, and now he's made whole, and you're angry about that? Mm, there's something wrong with that. It's called religion, you know? Do you want to know how he was healed? <laughs> I like that rhetorical question, because I think Peter's going to tell him whether they say yes or not. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel now, this is coming from the guy that denied Jesus just days before. Are you, are you catching that? Look at this. Let me clearly state. I, I don't want to be mistaken here. I want you to understand who I'm pointing to. That he was healed by the powerful, say it with me, church, name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. He was healed by Jesus. When you start saying the name Jesus, have you noticed that there often is opposition to the name of Jesus Christ. When you identify with Jesus, the name of Christ. Now, now he's really going to get bold right here. The name of Jesus Christ. The man you crucified. He was our Messiah. And you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures. He's saying the whole Old Testament has been pointing to this. Can you not see this? Where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. You thought you did away with Jesus. He's the cornerstone of all of this. This was this ordinary guy who was fearful, this uneducated fisherman. He had not been to the rabbinical schools to know all of the scriptures the way that these guys 
did, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God who spoke through him powerfully. Peter most likely at that moment, as he was asked about what was going on, remembered this. Jesus told him back in Luke chapter 12, and when you are brought to trial, when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before the rulers and authorities, now look at this, let this speak to you. If you're fearful of maybe just, you know, I'm going to say something dumb, or I'm going to do something dumb, I just don't, so then you end up being silent. Look what he says. Don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. That's a faith right there. It's faith in God. Don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. Now look at what he says. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. So again, you're like, man, I don't know what to say, or I'm going to say something dumb, or I'm going to embarrass myself, or I'm going to embarrass my family or God. So oftentimes we remain silent. Oftentimes we don't speak up for the Lord. Or we don't follow through with the bold action that God has called us to because we're scared. What he's saying is, no, rely on the Holy Spirit. You stand firm and rely on the Holy Spirit. So with the, the people that God lays on your heart this week to to speak to in love or to boldly do some radical act of kindness in the name of Jesus or to pray for or to share a kind word. Do you hear that I'm saying it's more about what you're for than not what you're against? Are you hearing that? In standing for Christ, it's more about him than it is about all the things that you're against or, or whatever, that you're, you're living in boldness like that. Here is an amazing thing, all right, that we get from this. God wants to speak to other people through you. Amen? Isn't that amazing? God wants to speak to people through us. And it doesn't have to be the pastors or those with PhDs or those who have been through seminary or all these things. He wants to speak through everyday people to those who are in your sphere of influence. In fact, your pastors, we can't be everywhere to influence the people for Christ in the manner in which you have been given that influence with people around you. You have been called to, to yield to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to speak through you. Look at the next thing we see. Here's the next part of our response when we're persecuted is that we then at that point boldly use whatever the situation we find ourselves in to point people back to Jesus. Not even so much the situation that we're in, you know, pointing towards that. It's more about pointing people to Jesus, all right? This would have been a great place for them to clam up and say, well, maybe we should just shut up and kind of get out of this you know, and back down, uh, you know, but Jesus had told them, I have called you to go and to preach the gospel unto every creature. And you know what? These religious people here, they were part of the every creature. And so he said, I'm just going to use this opportunity to tell you all about Jesus and what he's done in our lives. Look at verse 10. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The name of Jesus keeps coming up. The name of Jesus. You'll find that over and over again. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone you, that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Now, I want to show you something right now. This next passage right here in verse 12. Go to verse 12, please. There is salvation in no one else. And when you start preaching Jesus in that manner, you can anticipate much resistance. You start saying that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. By the way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father. What did Jesus say? 
but by me. When you start talking about that, you're going to be called a hater. You're going to be called intolerant. You're going to be called narrow-minded. You're going to be called all of these certain kinds of things. That's a form of persecution. Peter is saying boldly to these Jews who had put Christ to death, right? He's saying, look, there is salvation found in no one else. He is the Messiah. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Satan hates the name of Jesus. He hates the name of Jesus because there is power in the name of Jesus. This is bold when you say Jesus is the way to God. He lays it on the line. He's saying, guys, Jesus is our only hope. There is no other hope. This man was, was made well by Jesus physically, and you will either be made well by him spiritually or you will not. Jesus is the only way. No other name but Jesus. And so this is unbelievable boldness. That's how to handle persecution. You're submissive to it. You're spirit-filled. You use it as an opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ. Now, what was the effect? This is what you anticipate, right? The members of the council were amazed when they saw the, say it with me, church, the what? Boldness. They were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men. And I'm so thankful God put that in the scripture. They were ordinary people with no special training in the scriptures. These guys were shocked. But I want you to see this. Boldness isn't just for pastors or seminary trained or, or the highly educated in theology or whatever. Boldness is for every, every person who calls themselves by the name of Jesus Christ. Ordinary people, all right? We're ordinary people, and I want you to see this, and this is the greatest part of this. They also recognized them as men who had, I love it, who had been with Jesus. You know what? These guys are standing before them. What a great testimony. They reminded these guys of Jesus. Oh, for that to be said about each one of us, right? When people see us and say, you know, I can't help but think about Jesus whenever I look at that guy. Or think about Jesus whenever I see how that, how that lady, you know, is at work. You know, and, and they had been with Jesus. I don't want to over-spiritualize this. The thing is just very point blank. They had been with Christ. They'd been with Christ. Now they were reflecting Christ. They're modeling Christ. Even in the manner in which they were handling persecution like Jesus was modeling Christ. These guys had just had Jesus, and, and they thought, we'll shut him up, we'll kill him, this will end it all. And now here these guys are doing the same thing that Jesus did. And they're like, we can't stop this. We can't stop what's going on. Here's the last thing, okay? If you're taking some notes, write this down. We are called to be obedient to God first at all costs. Obedience to God over any and all at all costs. In verses 14 through 22, we see that kind of play out in the narrative there. In verse 15, it says, so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred amongst themselves. They're like, what are we going to do with these guys? We can't deny the miracle, you know. And I want you to see the spiritual blindness that some people have here. Uh, we, what should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. You know, some people say, if I just see a miracle from God, I'll believe in him. This just shows right here. That is not the case. Sometimes we see miracles all the time, but we still won't believe, okay? 
and, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. We can't deny this miracle happened. This is the epitome of spiritual blindness. They were so proud, and they couldn't deny the miracle, but they still wouldn't believe. Still wouldn't believe. But to keep them from spreading the, their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus's, what did it say again? Name. We're going to silence that name of Jesus. We're going to try to silence the name of Jesus. So here they go with their intimidation again. We're going to warn you. We're going to let you know that if you do this anymore, there's going to be some things that happen to you. And by the way, it did. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach, here it is again, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we are commanding you as your leaders that you are never to speak about Jesus Christ. And now Peter, man, this is one of the greatest things right here. I'm glad these guys are, are, were faithful, right? Would we be here today if these guys, this would have been the moment to stand down, but they didn't. And now because they stood firm, now here we are. The movement continues in Jesus Christ here. We see this, look at this ripple effect now. Peter says this. Peter and John replied, look at this. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? I was reading that this week, and I was like, well, damn, man, that is awesome. That is a boom right there. He lowers the boom. Do you think God wants us to obey you before we obey him? What had he told them to do? Jesus had told them, you go into all the world, and you preach the name of Jesus. You know, we have submitted to your authority. At this point, you have unjustly apprehended us. We have been apprehended because we did a nice thing for a guy and healed him, and you have apprehended us. Now you're going to tell us that we can't speak in the name of Jesus? That's not going to happen. Peter and John realized this. There is a higher authority that they are called to obey. And that higher authority is God himself. You say, well, aren't you contradicting yourself? Didn't you say to submit? Well, we don't resist the persecution when it comes. We submit at that point. Doesn't Romans 13 say, be subject to the powers that, you know, that be, uh, for they are ordained of God. And I think that is the general rule and the general principle that we live by as good citizens within our country. But the, but the very moment that the government begins to issue an edict that is contrary to the things of God, we are called to obey God before men. This is what the Word of God says. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't know. Do you remember in the book of Daniel whenever the king said you are, he issued a decree, you are not to pray anymore to any other gods. What did Daniel do? He prayed. <laughs> now, what happened to him? He got thrown in the lion's den. He submitted at that point. He trusted in the Lord. The Lord took care of him. Okay, do you see what I'm saying? And you have to realize this, that you are... You are accountable to God before you're accountable to anything else. There is accountability, but God is our ultimate accountability. We should be the best citizens that we could be. But at the same time, when it comes to violating the commands of Jesus Christ, that is when we obey Christ and at times disobey our government. And they don't argue about this. They don't make a big deal of it. Look in verse 20. Look at what they said. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. We can't stop. We're not going to stop. And we know that they would go on to face some incredible persecution because of that. That is radical obedience to God. That is a boldness to Christ. 
in Christ. Somebody said the trouble with many Christians is that the voices of others is louder in their ears than the voice of God itself. Isn't it an interesting thing that the, 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 the first century Christians had to be told to be quiet about Jesus? And oftentimes today, if we're honest, the contemporary believers today must be told to speak up. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting. Think about that. Called to be bold. I want to close with this. I want you to watch this video. Tim Cross's video this week. It's a video, and I want you to, as you're watching, I want you to think about the blessing that you have right now and the freedom that you have to worship God in the manner in which you do. Some of you, maybe you're going through difficulties because you identify with Christ. I dare say many of us won't, be, won't go through the kind of difficulty that this little girl did in her life. But she has inspired me, as you'll watch this video, just to be bold for Christ. To be bold, not arrogant, but just to be bold, to not deny the name of Jesus, but to identify with Christ. Watch this video. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hallowed be thy name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There's power in the name of Jesus. Take the third commandment, for example. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. For years, I simply thought that meant not swearing or cursing using the Lord's name, but I stumbled across a simple but incredible realization. Because a more literal translation of that commandment actually reads, You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. You shall not use the name of Yahweh casually, complacently, without respect, without value. It's the moment in time I realized that I actually break this commandment all the time. And more often than not, I break it at church. How much value, how much worth do you place on the name of Jesus? As I thought through this, it reminded me of a girl called Susan from Uganda. She's 14 years old and from a strictly Islamic family. One day a visiting speaker came to her school. He spoke about this guy called Jesus who claimed he was a son of God and had come to save the world. And right there, Susan decided to give her life to Jesus. When she got home, her father found out and he was furious. In fact, on one occasion in broad daylight, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother and dragged them outside. He held a knife to their throat and said, Susan, if you do not stop going to church and worshipping God, I will kill you and your brother. But Susan didn't stop. Her father grabbed her. He took her to a room in their house and placed a mat on the floor. He told Susan to sit on that mat and do not move until you are willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Her father turned around, walked out of the room and locked the door. Susan's father didn't return to that room for three months. 
The only way Susan survived was that while her father was out, her brother would dig a hole under the door. He would pour water into it for Susan to lap up. On occasion, he would fry up some banana and slide that under the door to his sister. After about three months, the neighbours began to wonder where Susan was and they asked her brother. He told them and they immediately called the police. When they came, they opened the door and they found Susan. She was sitting on the mat. She was alive, but only just. You see, the bones in her legs had began to grow and conform to the way she'd been sitting. And she weighed 20 kilos. They grabbed her and rushed her to hospital where they began to rehabilitate her. When Susan was asked why she hadn't tried to escape, why she hadn't even left the mat, without missing a beat, she replied, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I would be denying Jesus. And I couldn't do that. Worthlessness. It never even seemed to cross her mind, did it? This is exactly what the third commandment is about. A faith driven by a passion for God that realizes not only to be in relationship with Him, but to be able to call on His name is among the most sacred privileges we have as Christians. A privilege the world can't conceive and a privilege that we so often take for granted. You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. Susan wouldn't. You. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.